You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Okay, personal question. Who grew up or is growing up with a brother or a sister who really frustrated them and uh, irritated them and annoyed them? My, my hand is going up. I have a brother and a sister and we get on great now. But in the early days, there were my sister is 13 years younger than me. So uh, there were some moments when I was in my teenage years when she sort of got in the way and it was a bit of a problem. Well, it, it usually involves. I mean, we know, we know how this works. If you've got a brother or a sister who frustrates you, it usually involves a bit of teasing. It usually involves borrowing stuff and not returning it. Uh, it usually involves uh, hogging the bathroom, um, stealing your snacks from the fridge, this kind of thing. That's where it starts and it can usually escalate. Well, listen, how would you cope? How would you cope with a precocious, seemingly ultra self-centred brother like young Joseph? How would you cope with him? Because in that reading, which is one of my favourite Old Testament passages, he's described as the favourite son of Jacob. We know the dangers of having favourites in any family. He's been born to Jacob in his old age, like Jacob was an old man and and Joseph comes along. And so as a, a sign of thanksgiving to God, Jacob presents Joseph with this beautiful, this beautiful coat, multicolours, inspired the musical Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And uh, so that in itself, you know, Joseph is a privileged one. And that sort of irritates the brothers somewhat. But then Joseph, this very confident but rather naive young 17-year-old, he goes about telling his brothers about some of the dreams he's having. And he says, hey, guys, I had a dream last night. And we were out binding sheaths of wheat. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And all of a sudden, my sheath rears up. And all your sheaths start bowing down. What could that mean? I mean, hello. And then he says, and also I had another dream. And there was the sun and the moon and 11 stars. How many brothers? 11? Ooh, coincidental. 11 stars and they all start bowing down to me. Hello. What could that mean? Well, of course, you can imagine the tension. You know, the brothers are sort of building up with this guy, proving to be so frustrating so irritating. Of course, even the dad is somewhat irritated and uh, he's disturbed by this. Uh, what's the last verse of the reading? The father kept thinking about the whole matter, mm. but he's a little bit perturbed by it. We know what eventually happens. If you know the story of Joseph, uh, they, the brothers try to kill him, but he's eventually sold into slavery. And eventually Joseph becomes the sort of the Joe Hockey of Egypt. Uh, he becomes the treasurer. In charge of everything. And uh, I'm not going to push that analogy any further than that. Uh, and, and, and they come to him. They eventually come to him, the brothers, and they do bow down. So, you know, it's a, it is a, it's a real prophecy. It was just in the way it was delivered that might have needed a bit of tweaking. But it's a real prophecy. And, and they sort of come and they start begging for food. But clearly Joseph would have been a source of great frustration to his brothers in those early years. It's a fascinating story. And the reality is, look, we know this, whether it's in the home setting or at work or among neighbours or on the university campus, people frustrate us. 
there are moments when we get very, often it's with total strangers on the road. People annoy us, they irritate us. In, in extreme cases, they drive us to despair. And killing the person whilst an attractive proposition, as the brothers wanted to kill Joseph, is not very socially acceptable. You've actually got to get other ways. There's got to be other ways of dealing with the person who frustrates you. We have to find other ways, especially, especially when we realise that you know, handling frustrating people is such a huge part of our life because there are so many of them. Uh, and uh, you know what I'm talking about. So you've really got to get a handle on this. How do you handle a person who really... Frust- Look, here's the good news. The good news is this. There are practical, achievable ways based on this book to help us cope with the really frustrating people who get into our lives. And they, these principles are designed to help us get along better. So come with me as we outline some of these. You see, when having to deal with people who frustrate us, there's a number of things that need to happen. Firstly, there's a decision to make. That's the first thing. There's a decision to make. And friends, that decision is, to what extent am I going to allow this person to get to me? That's the decision. Can you make that decision? Yes, you can. To what extent am I going to allow this person to get to me? Now, it may be difficult. It may be really difficult to make that decision in the tension and the heat of a frustrating moment. It's very few people who have the presence of mind to sort of make that decision right there and then. But with time, we can, by God's grace, adapt this kind of response into our personal DNA. Actually do this by his grace to the point where we, con- we consciously assert in any situation, nobody has the right to upset me without my permission. We give permission to people all the time. We give permission to that stranger who cuts us off on the road or that person who gives us bad service. We get really irritated and frustrated and can wreck our whole day. They've done their bit and it's been bad, but we have given them permission to just spoil our whole day. We do that. So you can make a decision. To what extent am I going to let this person get to me? It boils down to the most basic of truisms in life. One that I learned in my 20s. I wish I'd learned it even earlier. Not always can you have control over the people and situations in which you find yourself. Not always do you have control over those things, but we can control how we react to those people and those circumstances. God's given us that ability, that power. So there's a decision to make. But there's also a question to be asked. And that question is, why? Why is this person behaving this way? Why are they causing me so much frustration? What, what is happening in their lives that may be leading to this behaviour, that may be contributing to the thinking and the attitudes that I'm finding so irritating? Why are they doing this? Now, friends, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, the famous love chapter, you know, love is the greatest thing. Tucked away in that chapter, there's a little verse that says, love is not happy with evil, but is happy with the truth. Love is happy with the truth. And in a situation where you're being upset and frustrated in an ongoing way, the search for that truth may be the key that provides an opportunity for the resolution you are seeking. Seeking the truth. Why is this happening? I have an example from my early days of ministry, which some of you have heard before. But whenever I share this, 
I've shared it a few times over 16 years. There's always a stack of people who are hearing it for the first time. And I can't think of a better illustration. It's just such a, uh, a powerful one uh, with this point. It involves an elder who was part of uh, my, my first church out of college. And we, we had a real problem because this elder, we'll call him Philip, that's not his real name, um, he, he and I seemed to lock horns at every meeting whenever I came up with some sort of new initiative, you know, to, to sort of you know, move things forward as I was hoping and planning and I had a vision of where the church could go. Most of the other elders were on board, but because of this man's seniority in the church, very few, if any, were prepared to sort of take him on and say, look, you know, give the young guy a go. You know, he's, he's a bit green, but you know, he, he, we've called him to make some changes. So this guy, Philip, would come on really strong and, uh, and, and I, I had to seek him out. I had to go and have a coffee with him after a while. And I found out his story. He worked for a government department. He was a man in his late 50s. And right throughout his career, he'd been sidelined. He'd been kept at a certain level for decades. He was the training officer. You know, help people to use an overhead projector, how to hold a microphone, this basic sort of stuff. He was sure he was capable of a lot more. But he kept getting bypassed by these young graduates out of university and out of college. And in the work environment, he was totally powerless to do anything about it. But in the church setting, where <laughs> he was an elder, he had some power. He could really get stuck into somebody out of college. And look, I'm no psychologist, but once we found out that that's what it was all about, that's where he was coming from. I asked the why question. We started to form a bond that took quite a few months to shape and to get into place. But he became, before he uh, passed away, which I had nothing to do with, by the way, uh, it was very natural causes. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he became a very close friend. And uh, which shows you, you, know, you, can, you, can, you can build a bridge to, to even the most uh, difficult person, the person who's really frustrating you. I'll never forget that. It's probably the best, to this day, the best example I have to illustrate a point like this. So there's someone who gets you riled up and they get you frustrated. Have you made an attempt to find out why that might be? Have you considered their situation, their background, their family situation? Uh, have you tried to get them talking in order to find out more? There are no guarantees, but sometimes that sort of question can break the impasse. So there's a decision to be made. There's a question to be asked. And friends, there's an admission to be made. That's the third thing. In the business of trying to get along with frustrating people, we have to admit there's only one person we can change. And that's us. Can't change the other person. That's us. Sometimes our preoccupation with the frustrating behaviour of the other person leads us to be totally oblivious to the behaviour we may be exerting that frustrates them. We just don't even think about that. We, we started the marriage course this week. We've got a really young group of people doing the marriage course, actually across different age ranges. It's, it's, it's great. We... And watching the DVDs, I was reminded this week of something really powerful that comes through in the very first session. It's where a couple are talking about their marriage. 
And the woman says, you know, for the first 10 years of our marriage, looking back, I think I was focusing on my needs and his faults. Which is an interesting approach to marriage. And she said it almost ended in disaster because we almost split up. But she said, my epiphany moment, my, my turning point came when I started to focus on my faults and his needs. Now, that was a courageous move to make, to save a marriage. And it resulted in that marriage being saved. I think in part, this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, verses 3 and following. He says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? Now, look, the primary application of that verse is judgmentalism. We we, we know that. But it's also a reminder of the fact that we can't always change someone else's behaviour. The only behaviour we can change is ours. And in doing so, in doing so, we may start modelling a behaviour pattern that the other person actually starts to catch on to have you ever had a situation where you've started to look more closely at the person who's frustrating you started to really do the things I'm saying and you say after a time you know they're they're changing and they're not as frustrating as they were what often is happening is that you're the one who's changing you're changing in how you perceive them you may have even in some really positive cases actually started to model the very behaviour that you want to see more of in them. I, I've got so many, so many incidents where this has happened over the years. I, I just, to me, this is one of the greatest thrills of, of life and of ministry and of just our journey with people. You can actually shape people's behaviour based on your own modelling if you do it long enough and consistently enough. So there's a decision to make. There's a question to be asked. There's an admission to be made. But there's also initiative to be taken. See, friends, as followers of Jesus, I believe that the initiative is with us to break the impasse. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and and he's the one who's all about love and peace and reconciliation, then the initiative is with us to try to break the impasse of situations where there's tension and where there's frustration. To be the first ones to instigate the conversation if that's needed, to hopefully lead to greater levels of harmony and maybe the outcome where the frustration, the tension is actually eased. That may not be the outcome, but at least we need to try. Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus exhorts his hearers to make peace with anyone whom they are in conflict with before they offer their gift to God in the temple. And we're going to say more about this next week, actually, because it forms the basis of the, of the message on reconciliation. But you get the idea. Jesus is saying, look, if, if you're going to go up to the temple to worship and you've got your little gift there and you're going to praise and sing, well, if you know you're out of sync with somebody else, well, get that right first. And then that frees you to be fully open to God's blessing and grace and power because you've made it right with the person with whom there's tension. So when there's resistance, lack of cooperation on the part of the other person, the initiative is part and we, it's, it's sort of... It's counterintuitive. Even, well, you know, I, I did it the last time. Well, you, you might have to do it again. You might have to do it again and again <laughs> because you have the living Christ within you. That's got to make some difference. Make the first move. Start the conversation. Initiative to be taken. That's, that's one thing. But there's also consistency to be maintained. Consistency to be maintained. You know, friends, 
I found this to be one of the most effective ways to handle people who frustrated me over the years to the point where, and maybe it's just an age thing, I, I don't get easily frustrated. <laughs> to be, I don't say that as like I'm no hero, but it takes a fair bit to really, because like I've tried to build some of these things just into my DNA and how I see situations. Now you ask Bev and I can get a little tense. Uh, <laughs> I certainly love making phone calls to agencies and television stations and doing things like that, and that sort of eases the pressure a little bit uh, with courtesy uh, and always respectfully. But, you know, but there it is. Sometimes you just got to take the initiative. No good letting it all build up, build up, build up. Make a phone call. If you're upset about something, make a phone call. I was an hour down at the council this week because I'm pretty irritated about the fact that after 30 years, all of a sudden, bang, no parking. And two kids get, you know, a massive fine. Uh, and there was no warning and no consultation. So rather than let that get, OK, let's, I'm going to take an hour out and I'll go down there and we'll have a little chat. And I did. And Maria was very nice. Uh, and she's going to do her best for me. Um, when she got back from lunch, we had a lovely chat. Um, <laughs> there's consistency to be maintained. Friends, I try to resist the temptation to respond negatively and, and, and in a retaliatory way. But just try to be consistently open and amicable and friendly. And you see it sometimes. People aren't ready for it. If you do this thing yourself, you know, you'll see people who are out of sorts and, like, you'll greet them warmly and they'll, and, like, okay, that's, you know, I don't need to know about that unless you want to tell me, but I'll just keep talking warmly and in a friendly way to you because I want to retain this sort of consistency. A couple of weeks ago, um, Sam gave a brilliant explanation and an interpretation of Matthew 5, 44, where Jesus says, love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you. And for our purposes this morning, we could say those who irritate you, those who frustrate you. And of course, he made the point that if you start praying for people who wrong you or who frustrate you or who persecute you, it does inevitably alter how you see them. And I would argue on this point that it actually strengthens, it actually strengthens the chances of us being consistent in how we handle them. What's the old saying which I love? Calm people, calm people. That is such a truism. Calm people. Calm. And, and some of you in customer service, you learnt this in basic customer service 101. When somebody comes in and they've got a complaint and they throw the product under the counter, if you try to match their level of, well, hang on, wait a minute now. Listen, we have no shouting in this, in this shop, thank you. If you start raising it, the, they're just going to get higher and higher. And so the idea of excellent customer service is, okay, now let's, what is it exactly you're wanting? What, what did you say? And you just, you, know, you just get it down where they have to ask. You know, well, 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 what, and, well, if you just calm down, you'll hear what I'm saying. You know. Four years in furniture retail, saw it all. And uh, had a few frustrated customers, not too many, fortunately, but had a few. Now, guys, look, um, initiative has to be taken. Consistency has to be maintained. It's not easy, not easy at all. But that's a great motivation to be growing in Christ to be taking more Christ-like qualities into our DNA. Here's the last thing. Boundaries. Boundaries to be established. Guys, if I've given the impression that as Christians we're simply meant to cave in, lie down, take it all with the person who frustrates us and meekly surrender to their annoying behaviour and do nothing, if I've given that impression, 
you have really misheard me and we need to clarify that right now. Because as Christians, we're not meant to be doormats. No, no, no. On the contrary, we are meant to establish boundaries that communicate to the seriously frustrating person who's persistently frustrating us, you know what? Look, this behaviour is not acceptable in an ongoing way. We need to talk about this. We need to have those courageous conversations. There's an intriguing word from Jesus in Matthew 10, verse 14. And the context is when he sends the, the disciples out to, to preach and to teach, to go out into the towns and the villages. And he makes the comment. You check it out. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. If a house or a town refuses to accept you, that'd be frustrating, wouldn't it? Knock on the door, pow, get the door slammed in your face. Remember the old World Vision collecting days? Salvation Army collecting days? <laughs> Where you just get a door slammed in your face. It's very, very confronting sometimes. Frustrating. Well, Jesus said, look, just symbolically, just shake the dust off your shoes. Yeah, they'll just give you a little bit of peace, inner peace. We'll, you know, I'm just going to shake the dust. It's not a, a huge criticism of the people involved. It's just your way of, of saying, look, you know what? I'm not going to let that. There's a boundary right there. And I'm not going to let that penetrate my sense of self-worth and, and dignity and self-esteem. It's, it's a controversial reference. It needs to be unpacked a little further, but there it is. It's from Jesus. He said that. Now, I was at a seminar just recently a seminar on ministry, and the, the guest speaker was very good. He was talking about hardship in ministry. It's a favourite topic among ministers, uh, hardship of ministry, which, which was very timely. It was, it was good. And he said, that he said, you know, it's really tough. He said, I was in a church once where he said, where three or four times a year, a man would come into my office and he'd start telling me how bad I was as a minister and where I was failing and what I was doing wrong. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow. And I heard three or four times... I thought he said three or four times in the year. And then he said, you know what, that continued for eight years. And I thought, what? Are you kidding me? That continued? He, he let somebody come in and start ranting and raving about what a poor job he was doing. He let that go on for eight years? That's appalling. That's not what we're meant to take. Christians aren't meant to take that. A courageous conversation was needed. Brother, you've got some issues. We need to talk. The elders should have been involved in that. That guy should have been given a support network. That man should have been taken aside and worked out exactly what the problem was, where he was coming from. Were there emotional issues, mental issues? What's going on? Just to let a guy come in and start ranting. He said it. I couldn't believe it. Well, Jesus experienced many moments of frustration with his disciples and he lovingly but firmly called them on it. He called them on it. Just didn't take it. Let me remind you of some of the things. Get behind me, Satan. I find that comment, Peter, really frustrating that you would try to thwart my mission to go to Jerusalem. Just get out of the way, man. I'm just not happy with that at all. You don't know what you're asking. One of the guys said, oh, please, 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 can we sit next to you? Jesus in the kingdom, one on your right, one on your left, you know, bossing people around. You don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Please. Boundaries. Don't need to hear that. And one of Jesus' famous moments when in the face of some real faithlessness among the people, always looking for a sign, he says, oh, how long have I got to be with you? Remember that one? How long have I got to be with you guys? Gosh. And what little faith you have, he said to the disciples out on the boat. 
And they said, oh, Lord, we're perishing. Look at the storm. And he says, yeah, have a little faith you've got, gosh. That's why I find that really frustrating that you haven't listened to what I've been saying. Well, these mild and not so mild rebukes by Jesus were his way of saying your actions, your words, your attitudes are unacceptable to where I'm going and what I'm trying to achieve. So we're not meant to just, but it does take a courageous conversation to be able to call people on if the behaviour is unacceptable, if that's at the heart of the frustration, there's got to be some way. And I know it's difficult in some professions because there are hierarchical you know, structures to, to get through and that, but and, and nothing is, none, none of this is easy. It's part of the reason why I've stayed so long in, in, in church. I've had two ministries in 33 years because you know, building these kind of relationships and building up this kind of trust does take time. Look, friends, in conclusion, midway through the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus says this, Why should God reward or bless you if you love only the people who love you? How easy is that? Why should God bless you, says Jesus, if you only love the people who think you're fantastic? How easy is that? Oh, you're great. Thank you. I really love you. But the person who gets under your skin, who really irritates you, who really frustrates you, caring for, loving, reaching out, initiating, trying to embrace that person, that's where the rubber meets the road for the spirit-filled person. That takes faith. That takes courage. That takes the, the kind of love that only God can give. Where we say, you know what? I'm finding it really hard to love you. But I'm going to reach out my hand. And I'm going to allow God's love to throw, flow through me to you. Because at the human level, I'm really finding it hard. But you don't say this, but this is what you're praying. I will love you. I will let God's love flow through me to you in the belief that ultimately this situation is going to change. Friends, if we are all more intentional this week, more prayerful about reaching out and minimising the level of frustration and working on it and being a little more patient, we may not believe the impact that we as a group could have this week just in the circles in which we move. It could be unbelievable. It could be miraculous. I'd love to hear some of your stories if you want to make a really intentional, conscious prayerful approach to do that this week. Let's bow in prayer, shall we?